If you're in the auditorium Bible class this morning, you might recall that we were studying how Samuel was trying to make an impression on the people of Israel that they needed to obey God, and he prayed God and called down a thunderstorm on him, and uh, that pretty much uh, convinced them they should be obeying God. And so the thing going on outside right now ought to be a constant reminder to us of actually just a small part of the great power of the God that we serve, and we want to serve him reverently and purposefully and lovingly. He is such a great God. He is all-powerful, but he's also full of love and mercy for us. We're so thankful to be in his presence tonight, and if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you can be here. I'm sure some may have been kept away by this rain, but, um, you know, it's the Lord's day. It's his weather, and uh, we're happy that he's in control of all of that. We just sang a song, Christ for the world we sing, Christ, the world to Christ we bring. The second stanza, I don't know if you noticed, with fervent prayer. With fervent prayer, we bring Christ to the world and the world to the gospel. I'm going to talk tonight about empowering preaching through prayer. If that sounds like it's something like I preached on uh, recently, you were paying attention then about three weeks ago when I preached about uh, praying evangelistically. Hopefully, everybody sort of remembers that. It was only three weeks ago. Uh, But I realize I'm preaching something very similar to that tonight, but I wanted to go back and look at the subject matter again, a little bit different angle, a little bit different emphasis tonight. We're going to dig down on a couple of different passages than we did in the previous lesson, because obviously prayer is so important for any endeavor, any endeavor, anything that's important to us, anything that we're going to be involved in. Prayer is a vital aspect of that. We want to be a house of prayer, and when it comes to the work of God, one of the chief of which is evangelizing the world. Surely prayer needs to be a focus. And I don't want you to forget, I want you to remember how your prayers are connected to evangelism in our community and in the world, and especially to the very work of evangelists. Recently, in a church in Texas, an elder rebuked the congregation. Got up, he was making announcements, and rebuked the congregation because the congregation was praying that the elders might have wisdom. And he said, y'all act like the elders don't have any wisdom. I want you to stop praying that. It's hard for me to even get my mind around that sort of an attitude. The leaders of God's people surely need every prayer that can be offered for them. Elders need prayers for wisdom and strength and patience with us and everything. And preachers are the same if we're to be effective in our work. And all of us are the same if we're to be effective servants of God. Even the Apostle Paul recognized, you think about the great Apostle Paul endowed with such miraculous abilities, visions from heaven, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking directly to him, uh, the wonders of his uh, conversion story, all the power that he had from God. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, Paul writes to the Romans and he says this, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. He's begging them to pray for him. And not just to pray, you know, haphazardly or uh, without great interest, but he says to strive together with me. I'm praying for me. I need you to pray for me. 
with the same striving. I've talked about that word there before. The Greek word is agonizomai. We get our word agonize from it. I'm agonizing in prayer. I need you to agonize for me in prayer. If Paul could make that request, who are we (laughs) that we don't need prayer, right? Who am I that I don't need prayer? Surely we need prayer to be involved in God's work. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25, he tells the Thessalonians, just brethren, pray for us. And so it's stunning, isn't it, that a man of Paul's spiritual caliber and gifts was, in his mind, dependent on the prayers of others for the effectiveness of his ministry. If an inspired preacher whose dedication and very commitment was beyond question, if he felt this need to beg for prayers, Surely we should feel a similar need. I want you to go in your Bibles now to Colossians chapter 4. This is going to serve as one of the primary texts tonight. We're going to dig down through it uh, pretty carefully. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. And notice the request here that Paul makes. Uh, it's, not, it's more than a request. There's a command that goes along with it. But he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. There's some words that I want to focus on with you. Praying earnestly, continuing earnestly, being vigilant, praying for us. And then he says, particularly that I might make it known as I ought to speak. There's a way it should be spoken. And he asked also that a door for the word could be opened. So those are some of the particulars of those verses that I want to look at a little more closely tonight and see what it is exactly that he was expecting the Colossians and therefore us to do. Colossians 4 and verse 2 is a mandate to pray. It's a command to pray, and to pray continually. Continue earnestly in prayer. Those words mean to be steadfastly attentive, to give unremitting care to a thing, to be, in other words, relentless in your praying. Continue earnestly. Be relentless for me in your prayers. Ephesians 6.18 He tells the Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice the words, praying always, perseverance, supplication, being watchful. The the fervency and the passion, the earnestness, the relentlessness of the prayers that Paul is asking for and advocating In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, he'll say to the Thessalonians, you pray without ceasing. Unceasingly prayer. You don't stop praying. Don't quit. Persevere in it. And in Romans 12 and verse 12, continuing again, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And then notice again, Paul in Colossians 4 says, being vigilant. The idea of vigilance is being alert, looking at things with an eye to praying about things, being aware of what needs to be prayed for and about. The concept of vigilance is maybe best illustrated by that of a a, a watchman, uh, a soldier, 
as maybe you picture soldiers encamped and you have to set a watch through the night for, you know, the camp and somebody has to stay up and watch for the enemies to come and all of that sort of thing. A watchman who's got to be aware of danger and what's happening. Do you remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John a little further into Gethsemane? And he left them there and he says, watch, watch, and pray. He's telling them to be vigilant, to be awake and aware. Watch and pray. And they didn't. They were so sleepy they couldn't stay awake. We need to watch and pray. We need to be vigilant in prayer. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, Peter says about praying that we should be serious and watchful in your prayers. ESV there says self-controlled and sober-minded in our prayers. Are we thinking and looking for things to pray about, particularly now when it is concerned with spreading the gospel? What can you pray about? What can I pray about? Am I aware enough of what's going on with people that I meet, with opportunities that there may be, even with visitors in our assembly, to to share the gospel, to, to get deeper with somebody into their relationship with the Lord, to pray for somebody's salvation, maybe someone that's been visiting East Side or just somebody that you know at work that's been considering the scriptures and considering uh, the story of the gospel, praying for their salvation and aspects and, and providence that would lead up to them taking that step to naming the name of Jesus. That's what watchfulness is all about. That's what vigilance is all about. Praying also with thanksgiving. Always in everything, he says. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. Ephesians 5 and verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So any prayer, but especially when we're praying relative to the spreading of the gospel, there's so much to be thankful for. The gospel itself, God's miracle power to salvation, the core of the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he lived a life, he died a death, and he rose from the grave. And the impact of that on humanity and on our hope for eternal life. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now we don't have to perish, but we can have life everlasting. And so we're thankful, and we have so much to be thankful for, for opportunities to spread the gospel, for our knowledge of the gospel, for our own salvation. So many things to be thankful for as we're praying related to especially the preaching and the spread of the gospel. We have then a responsibility, and we stay in Colossians 4, we have a responsibility to pray for evangelists. As you look back at that text, uh, Paul says, meanwhile, praying for us, and then again, he mentions himself personally, so you have an us and an I there in Colossians 4. You ever notice that? You have an us praying for us, and then you have an I. <laughs> so who's the us? Well, if you, in the context of uh, 
the epistle to the Colossians, Paul starts out, it's Paul and Timothy. So that's two there, so that can make an us. And then as you go through the book, it's evident that Epaphras is a co-worker, a fellow worker of Paul's in the gospel. He's mentioned a couple of times, Colossians 1 and verse 7 would be one place. Uh, he's mentioned a couple of times. So you have three guys preaching the gospel, sharing the faith, and Paul says, pray for us. So it's not just himself that he's concerned with, but he's concerned especially that they pray for him as he makes known the gospel, that he might speak it as he ought to speak it. In this text, we really have echoes of the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples long before this, when he told them that the harvest is great, pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the harvest. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. So praying for evangelists is definitely part of the mandate of prayer. It's, in fact, the main point of what Paul's saying there relative to prayer in Colossians 4. So we should pray that God would open a door for the word. That's a, a metaphor, but it covers a lot of ground. It encapsulates uh, some big concepts relative to evangelism. An open door uh, typically stands for, symbolizes an opportunity. Uh, if you talk about, we talk about um, nowadays uh, the, the glass ceiling where you can't rise any higher, you know, and doors aren't open for those of uh, certain uh, statuses in society and so on and so forth. But when the door is open, then they have the opportunity. They have the opportunity. And so it is with the gospel. When a door is open for the gospel, uh, there is an opportunity. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, Paul talks about the work that he's involved in at the time in Ephesus. He says, there's a great and effective door that has been opened for me. And in fact, there was a huge door of opportunity in Ephesus as he writes to, to Corinth. And he took advantage of that, stepped all the way through it. And all of Asia heard the gospel. All of, just think about that, talking about the Roman province now, but all of Asia heard the gospel because, because Paul was preaching in Ephesus. What a door. A great and effective door had been opened. In chapter 14 and verse 27 of the book of Acts, they gathered together, the church together, and they reported, back in Antioch, all that God had done with them, and he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. There was this opportunity for the Gentiles to be saved. So when Paul in Colossians 4 talks about that concept of opening the door to share the gospel, and for the gospel then to be received because the salvation of men's souls depends on how and if they receive the gospel. So you might flip over quickly to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read several verses there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul, recounting an earlier time in his history in preaching the gospel, he says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel, the gospel of Christ, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as a sincerity as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. At the beginning of this text, Paul says that a door was opened to me by the Lord. And again, when a door is open for Paul, he's going to step through it. He's going to take full advantage of it. And we see him doing that, even as he recounts uh, one of his earlier journeys. He realizes, Paul does, something that every evangelist and really every Christian, in one sense we're all evangelists, something that all of us should realize. (laughs) And that is, everywhere we go, there's a fragrance that goes with us. I'm not a great lover of perfume, I'll just tell you that. As uh, Jimmy Stewart said one time in a film, I'm a soap and water man. So, not a great lover of perfume. But there are people, sometimes guys who wear cologne, but especially ladies who might wear perfume. And their scent precedes them everywhere they go. It's usually a pleasing scent of some sort. And everywhere they go, they're taking that, that scent, that aroma with them. It's part of them. They put it on them. And that's really what Paul is saying here about somebody who has the gospel. The aroma of the gospel goes with you wherever you go. You realize that? If you're a Christian, and especially if you're trying to evangelize at all, the aroma of the gospel then is part of who you are, part of who I am. And everywhere I go, it it goes with me. And people are going to receive that differently. You ever known somebody that maybe had an allergy or a a bad reaction to perfume? I've known some people like that. And, you know, they they get around perfume, they start sneezing, they have to back away, they have to go out inside getting some fresh air or something. That, That happens. Most people like the scent. When I think about this, I always think about uh, my own relationship with, with uh, sweet-smelling flowers. And I've shared this with you before, but the first time I remember smelling sweet-smelling flowers and the pretty odor was at my grandfather's funeral. And the air in the funeral home was just pungent with the smell of the flowers. For many years after that, and even still sometimes, when I smell that smell... I think of death. It's the aroma of death. I love my grandfather. I was just a kid when he passed. To a lot of other people, that same scent, that same aroma, you know, you're a woman and your husband brings you a big bouquet of flowers for your anniversary or just because or whatever, that means love to you. And that means life to you. And it's something that's beautiful. You see, the same scent is received differently by different people. Paul isn't really responsible for how people receive it. You're not really responsible for how people receive it. What you're responsible for is carrying the aroma of the gospel. That when somebody's around you, they're going to experience it. They can't but help experience it. Paul is saying, a door was opened for me. 
And man, when I went through that door, as I always do, he's saying, I took the aroma with me. <laughs> I took the aroma with me. And some people smelled it and it was death, and others smelled it and it was life. And who is sufficient for these things? You know, who's, who's up to this? You have this thing with you that is literally eternal life or eternal death, and you're carrying it with you all the time. Who is sufficient for that? Paul says, I'm not. I need your prayers. I need your prayers to take the aroma of the gospel. Paul had spoken the word, he says in verse 17. This is what he was asking the Colossians to pray that he would do. Back in our text in Colossians 4. That's what he was asking. Let me make known the word as I ought to speak. Let me carry the aroma. And let it be made known as it needs to be made known. So we pray. We pray not only that the evangelist, whoever it is that's evangelizing, whether it's public evangelism, as I'm thinking about particularly tonight, but in whatever situation, we pray for boldness in preaching. Paul indicates that again back in Colossians 4. This speaking with boldness. Colossians 4 and verse 4, he says, that I might make, make it manifest as I ought to speak in the contemporary English version of that, please pray that I will make the message as clear as possible. You know, speaking with boldness, I, I think we have um, sometimes some odd ideas about what that means. Do you have to be loud and brash to speak with boldness? Do you have to hurt people's feelings to speak with boldness? You have to be kicking them in the knee and stepping on their toes all the time to speak with boldness. Well, maybe sometimes those things are necessary. There are some times when preachers need to shout and cry out. There are some times when folks need their feelings hurt, when the preacher needs his feelings hurt as far as that goes. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul there says to the Ephesians in verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful of the sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, again, praying for me as a preacher, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may, make, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Twice, pray for me that I may speak boldly. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. King James Version says, great plainness of speech. So what I want to tell you is something about that word boldness and boldly as it's used in these passages. It comes from a Greek word, parousia. And Thayer defines it as speaking freely being unreserved in speech, being open, being frank, without concealment, without ambiguity, without circumlocution. That's a big word, but you don't have that. That means beating around the bush.
You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be blunt. You don't have to hurt people's feelings, but you do have to be plain. When you get finished sharing the gospel with somebody, they should have no doubt about what's being said. They should have no doubt about who Jesus is, what their responsibility is to him, and what the lure of the gospel is, what they're being offered, eternal life. And frankly, if we're at our best, they should also understand the consequences of turning down that opportunity. All of that in love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'd like you to turn to this, the other passage we're going to dig down into just for a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think, is just a depiction of this boldness. You're asking me, what does this look like, Steve? You know, what are the, you know, what are the points of this kind of bold preaching that Paul is praying for and that the, God, and that the gospel advocates? What, what, what's involved in that? Well, maybe this passage, more than any other that I can think of, helps us to see what's involved. So let's start 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2 as Paul talks about his preaching in Thessalonica. He says, Even after we have suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So Thessalonica was a place where he did what he prayed when he asked the Colossians to pray that he would do. Thessalonica was a place where he had preached boldly by his own statement here. He was bold to make known the gospel of God, and he did so, though, in much conflict. So what we learn, first of all, is that if you're speaking boldly, it's not going to be silenced. Your speech is not going to be silenced by conflict or persecution. That is probably the number one reason why Preachers won't preach what they're supposed to preach when they're supposed to preach it. Why we don't evangelize like we're supposed to when we have opportunity. It's because we're afraid of conflict. Gets back to the lesson this morning. We're afraid. We're afraid of conflict. And Paul says, I was bold. And when I was bold, I preached the gospel in much conflict. Not without regard, without regard to persecution. And then in verse 3, he says, For, continuing the thought, our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. You want to make sure that your message, if you're speaking boldly, is accurate. That it's true. That it's true to the book. It is what God says. You're not trying to deceive anybody. You're not trying to trick anybody into becoming a Christian. It's no, no, you know, not this bait and switch thing. Hey, we'll, we'll give you uh, whatever. Uh, free food and all this stuff. No, switcheroo. What you really need is this. It's not by deceit. There's no deceit in it. It's a straightforward approach of people with integrity. You don't use deceit. No error. No deceit. And then in verse 4, notice this. He says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. We're not trying to make everybody happy. We're trying to make God happy. And save some souls while we're doing it. I, I, I'm, I'm, you can believe this or not, but I'm very sensitive to people's feelings. I hate hurting people's feelings. Just hate it. But if I'm preaching to please people and to not hurt their feelings and to make them feel good about themselves when they should be concerned about their spiritual well-being, 
I have utterly failed as an evangelist. Not concerned with pleasing men, but God. For neither, Paul says, at any time then did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. So, in connection with the previous thing, don't flatter, you don't have to flatter people. Be honest with people, be kind with people, praise what is praiseworthy, and criticize what's needing criticism. And just be straightforward with folks. Let them know you love them. But don't, don't build people up with false praise and flattery. It's, you know, we're not, I, 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 I'm reluctant to name any particular profession, but let's say used car salesman or uh, whatever. We're not trying to, we're, as, as Paul said, else, we're not peddling stuff here. We're not trying to build somebody up so they'll buy our, our goods. We don't use flattery, and it's not motivated by covetousness. There, there should be no thought, and I think most of us surely understand this, no thought of, I'm going to get something material out of this. A lot of people can't do anything without, I'm going to get something material out of this, but Lord willing, uh, we're more spiritually minded than that. And he goes on then in verse 6, and he says, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. It wasn't about, you know, how many uh, souls are we going to bring to Christ? I'm the great apostle Paul. Look at the place I have in the church, so on and so forth. It wasn't about any of that. But Paul preached humbly. It wasn't about him. It was about salvation of men's souls, the gospel of Christ. And so he says, we were gentle among you as, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Loving, caring, concerned with their well-being. So affectionately, he says, longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. And there has to be this impression that is made that, that when you're sharing the gospel that you have a genuine concern for this human being. And that you would do anything to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You genuinely care about that person. Paul's example of boldness is, I think, rarely emulated in the world today, but sorely needed. And so, when I ask you to pray for me, to be bold, I want you to understand what that means. And this is what that means. And when I ask you to pray for preachers that we support to be bold, this is what that means. And when we pray for one another to be bold in taking the gospel to our friends and neighbors, this is what that means. That's what we're praying about. That's what we're praying for. Pray for the word to run freely. On in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is so thankful for the Thessalonians 
after he had preached boldly to them, he, he, the, the whole conversion of the Thessalonians, just an amazing story. He was so persecuted there uh, under such pressure. Uh, apparently, there were people so open to the gospel it didn't matter about all the persecution. It didn't matter what they were going to have to go through, what Paul had to go through. They just jumped on this opportunity. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. That we can find people like you, Thessalonians, who are going to accept the gospel and just let it run straight through them. Pray for us that we may find people like that that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all have not faith. Or not all have faith. The gospel needs to be free from both internal and external obstructions. One commentator on this point said, the gospel would spread rapidly in the earth if all the obstructions which men have put in its way were removed. And that they may be removed should be the constant subject of our prayers. That's a great observation. Satan will do all that he can do to hinder the free course of the gospel. We're aware of that. We can be assured of that. He will use, as Paul says, unreasonable and wicked men. He'll place obstacles in the way of evangelists, physical obstacles sometimes of not being able to get to a place or to a person in a certain time, in a certain uh, plan. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 18, back in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered Paul from getting back to the Thessalonians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Even if our gospel is, is veiled, he says, It's veiled in those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And so there are people in the world who've been blinded to the gospel. I was reading an article last night, uh, a news article about, it was entitled, Why People Are Leaving the Pews. <laughs> it was written from a worldly perspective. Uh, I was reading on a news site that uh, allowed for comments, and there were literally hundreds of comments. And so many of the comments were coming from people who had been hurt, by experiences with worldly churches, by godless leaders. Uh, and and I, you just, as you read through it, you just feel this overwhelming work of Satan that's going on. Many of them, in responding to this, said, yes, I left such and such church. Often it's some, again, very worldly church, some denomination, but I, I left this because of this, this, and this, and I ain't going back, you know. I'm, I'm not going to. And I'm not even going to, if that's what God is, I don't want that. And so the God, their minds have been completely blinded by false representation of the gospel, by experiences that they've had that they shouldn't have had. Satan is doing his work. And Satan is doing his work here, isn't he? And those of you who've been here for a long, long time, and there are several of you in the room who have been a long, long time, how many people have we seen? become disenchanted with the truth, drawn away by lies of Satan, with their minds blinded to the truth. Satan's working. 
We need to be praying that the word would run freely, which means that obstacles would be removed. And let's make sure that we're not part of the obstacle. The Thessalonians had removed the internal impediments as well as overcome the external ones, persecution and such as that. And in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, Paul commends them so much, is so thankful for them. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectively works in you who believe. And that's maybe the biggest thing about praying concerning the gospel of, uh, you know, of all, of all things, is as we're saying here, praying for the word to run freely. The key is the word. Let the word run freely. And the Thessalonians had let it run freely in their hearts. They accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. As a wind-up now, and I am fixing to wind up. Thank you. You've been patient with your listening tonight. But a couple of important things to leave you with, just quickly. I have found that the Word of God often does not have free course in the hearts even of Christians when it comes to subjects that are difficult or demanding. And you say, well, what might those subjects be? Well, it depends on the Christian. A lot of times it's whatever they're having trouble with. I, I find that uh, preaching on modest apparel to Christians who've decided they're going to dress immodestly is a, it hurts my head because I'm banging it against a wall. I, I find that preaching to Christians who've decided that, you know, their second or third marriage is legitimate when it's condemned by Scripture is a fruitless endeavor. So, I just want to tell you, we've got a gospel meeting coming up a little over a month. Donnie Rader is coming. And it's a series the elders have planned for just the congregation here, really, mainly focused on us. And uh, Donnie's a wonderful gospel preacher. The series is about saving the erring. And that includes maybe even some who might be erring among God's people. Maybe in our families. Are we going to be open to that? Are we going to let the word run freely? We need to be praying for Donnie that he can speak it boldly. And that the word will run freely. What about it? I'm asking for your prayers. If you are not aware, I want them always in preaching the gospel. I'd like you to intercede for the Bible class teachers as they tell the story of Jesus and of the Bible story to young children and to older children. I'd ask that you pray for preachers that we support. Pray fervently for them in the great work that they're doing. Pray for members of this congregation who are striving to share the gospel and pray for yourself. 
as one who carries the aroma of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. We are all desperately in need of spiritual support from on high every time we open our mouths to speak Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray to be what God wants us to be as we evangelize the world. There might be one here tonight who is ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very likely that somebody's been praying for you about that. If you're in need of doing that tonight, there may be one here tonight who's a Christian who needs to straighten up something that's amiss in their lives. Very likely somebody's been praying about that. Would you respond? Would you heed? Would you listen to the word and respond? Please come while we stand and while we sing.